Welcome to Your Daily Drive. I am Rick Thomas. Thank you so much for joining me for this podcast. I have a question for you. How would you answer this? How do you discern the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow? The question may seem to be your run-of-the-mill Bible question, but how you answer it will determine the quality of your life and the quality of your relationships. Now, while all of our articles and podcasts are designed for you to think about you specifically, I realize that this also applies to those who are close to you, those that you are concerned about. We do receive that email regularly, or maybe better said, we receive that forum post regularly as someone is caring for another individual and they are concerned about whether they are genuine or not in their confession, in their repentance, or maybe they are asking the salvation question, is this person genuinely saved? Now, I realize that the answers to these questions are subjective at best. We can never know that we know that we know that we know that a person is truly saved, or even if a person is genuinely repenting, that they are experiencing godly sorrow. But there are some indicators that you do want to look for, and it is important that you understand these things. Therefore, I want to talk about this in this podcast. The title of the podcast is The Vital Difference Between Godly and Worldly Sorrow. I'll get to the text in a moment. You know that I'm talking about the book of Corinthians, 2 Corinthians specifically. Paul dealt with this issue. He talked about it, and so I want to share a few thoughts about this concept or these two concepts, godly and worldly sorrow. I hope it's a benefit to you. I also hope it's a benefit for those within your immediate sphere of influence those whom you love the most and care for the most, those whom you have invested the greatest amount of time. If you want to talk about this podcast, you can do that with me and our team. We have community forums for anybody in the world to access our website. You can do that. All roads of the internet lead to rickthomas.net. It is our big box store in cyberspace, and so you come on in. You are welcome. Anybody is welcome. Get your username and password. Make sure you are logged in, and then you will be fine. If you happen to be a supporter of our ministry, may your kind increase. Uh, But then also I want you to go to our private forum where you talk specifically to me and to our team in the community forum Pretty much anybody can chime in. On the private forum, there is a forum there to where you can just talk directly to me and our team, and no one else is supposed to be responding in that part of our forum. It's just between you and us alone, and so you can ask your question there. So the question that I asked in this podcast, how you how do you discern the difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow? What I'm talking about here is your view on repentance, the transformation process, the change process, and your thoughts on biblical repentance will be the difference between life and death, restoration and dysfunction, joy and sorrow. And to truly discern your daily practice of repentance, 
It may be wise to talk to a friend about this life-altering question that I am posing to you now. I had someone recently in the last couple days write on the forum. They read my article titled The Doctrine of Repentance, and by the way, I have that article here linked inside of this one, and I would encourage you to read it. I'm not sure how long the person has been a believer. I think they've been a believer for a while, and they said that they, quite frankly, had not been doing these things, and their spouse had not been doing those things either. And that was instructive and insightful. It was also humble. Perhaps you're not sure of your doctrine, teaching, on repentance, and if you are not, it would be critical for you to read this article. But that's what we're talking about in this podcast, is what I'm talking about. Godly sorrow is connected to repentance, to how you change. And if you're unsure on how you think about uh, this matter of godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow, or the doctrine of repentance, here's some questions that I want you to think about. Number one, when God shows you that there is something wrong with you, what do you do? A very basic, straightforward question, what do you do when God shows you there is something wrong with you, that you have done something wrong? How about this? It's similar. How do you respond to Him? And then number three, when the Spirit is calling you out of a specific nonsense— a specific sin issue. What does transformation look like for you? How you answer these questions, as I said, it will reveal how you think about this idea of godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Because you can have godly sorrow, I suppose, and not repent, and you will not change, no matter how sorrowful you think you are or you exhibit about the problem. You have to know what to do with this godly sorrow if it is truly genuine godly sorrow. The Bible says the proper response to these questions that I'm asking you is repentance. Now, interestingly enough, the first point of the 95 Theses that Martin Luther nailed on the door of the castle church in Wittenberg on the eve of All Saints Day in, 20, in 1517. It said the following, quote, When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, He called the entire life of the believer to be one of repentance. Now, this could sound bleak or overly introspective to some people, but it's not really. This idea of repentance, what it points to is the victory that we have in Christ. Because of the conquering gospel, we are winners. We are winners through Christ. Christians are the only people in the world who can repent and continually repent. Luther understood the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he knew that the only way a person could make progress in the Christian life was through daily, active repentance. How goes it with you? Do you do this? Just like the gospel, repentance is an act of strength and wisdom. It is God's strength. It is God's wisdom working through you. The richest men and women in the world are repenting men and women 
they have discovered and are regularly applying the Christian secret weapon of active repentance to their life. There is a vital difference between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. And that's why I titled the podcast and the article on the website that I'm sharing with you right now, the vital difference between godly and worldly sorrow. For some Christians, repentance is not good news at all. They see it as a bleak and overly introspective process. They don't see the need or they do not want to do it. Others believe the Bible does not talk about repentance for the believer. This group puts forth the teaching that we are no longer under condemnation and therefore we don't have to repent. They would see repentance for the unbeliever and all the Christian needs to do is accept the forgiveness already provided. That's hogwash. (laughs) That's a technical term in the Greek that kind of means heresy. Bible truth would not agree with this hogwash teaching. Bible truth would say that repentance is the key to saving grace. That's how we become Christians. And repentance, here's the conjunction, and and repentance is the key to sanctifying grace. From start to finish, repentance is a necessary and ongoing lifestyle for all believers. Most certainly, you are one and done at salvation. You repent. God regenerates you. You're seated in heavenly places. But we're not entirely sanctified. And so you want to make sure that when you talk about this idea of repentance, that you apply it to two areas. First and foremost, the eternal question. What think ye of Christ? Are you born again? That's the first and and the singular time the unique time for you that you repent. But then after you become a believer, there is ongoing progressive sanctification. And as Tim Keller said, all of life is repentance. And so Paul talked about this notion. The letters to the Corinthians were Paul's attempt to encourage the Corinthian Christians to change their ways. The biblical term for this is called repentance. As I have been saying, he was writing to give those Christians a wake-up call, a call to repent. It was in these writings where we come across the teaching of godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. The text is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 8 and 11 through 11. Paul was writing to commend these Corinthians for their godly repentance. Here is what he said. I'll just share it with you. Paul, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that letter grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see that your earnestness, this godly grief, has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. 
This was 2 Corinthians 7, 8 through 11. Paul previously wrote a stern rebuke to the Corinthians. In this letter that we call 2 Corinthians, he was commending them because his confrontational first letter helped bring them to godly repentance. These Christians genuinely changed, and it's this type of response is what godly sorrow is, or in the ESV here, godly grief It produces a repentance that leads to the spiritual life that has no regret. It's not self-focused sorrow that leads to regret, but it is a sadness, a grief, a sorrow that fully releases a Christian from the sins that he or she has committed. And so what is worldly sorrow? Worldly sorrow is different from the godly sorrow that Paul was commending the Corinthian Christians for having. Worldly sorrow has non-repentive characteristics, if I could make up a word here. Let me give you a few of these non-repentive characteristics. Here's four. One is self-pity. Self-pity says, I can't believe I did this. Another one is personal embarrassment. Personal embarrassment says, what are others going to think about me now? And then there is shameful regret. Shameful regret says, I will never be able to forget what I have done. And then there is unbelieving guilt. Unbelieving guilt says, I can't forgive myself, which is a heretical teaching, and if you want to read more about that, it is one of the more popular articles and podcasts on our website. It's titled, The Danger of Forgiving Yourself. But all four of these things are characteristics of worldly sorrow. Self-pity, personal embarrassment, shameful regret, and unbelieving guilt. Worldly sorrow, simply put, is feeling sorry for yourself but not sorry enough to turn to God in real life change. If you are unsure about your repentance, a functional assessment question for you would be to think through how often you fall into any of these traps that I have mentioned. Self-pity, personal embarrassment, shameful regret, unbelieving guilt. Because what's going on in those four situations, those four dynamics, is you are looking inward to yourself and not outward to God. And thus you you get all bound up in this weird, sinful introspection. The Corinthians did not respond with worldly sorrow. They walked out godly sorrow, which they demonstrated by moving from an ongoing self-centered lifestyle to a gospel-centered way of thinking and living. Then the question is, what is godly sorrow? Turning from something that is bad while switching to something that is good is the essence of repentance. You could say it this way, from something to something. Repentance is a from-to dynamic. Now, note how the Corinthian Christians repented. Here are a half a dozen illustrations, five illustrations. 
They turn from loathing Paul to longing to see Paul. They turn from rejecting Paul's apostolic authority to embracing him. That's the idea of godly sorrow. It's that from to dynamic. Here's a third illustration. They turn from being influenced by false teachers to the resentment or indignation of false teachers. Number four, they turn from being proud and defensive of their sin to mourning over their sin. And then finally, here's a fifth illustration, a characteristic of godly sovereign applies specifically to the Corinthians. They turn from refusing to exercise church discipline to following Paul's instruction to discipline an erring brother. Repentance expresses itself as a visible, tangible, and practical life change. It is a continual turning from a former way of life to a gospel-motivated kind of life. And you can do this because it is the victory that you own because of the conquering Christ. Now, I'm assuming if you have been born again, If you have not been born again, if God has not saved you, you have not been regenerated by the power of Christ, then you need to exercise this from-to dynamic in salvation. You need to turn from your sins and repent and turn to Christ in saving faith. And you can do this because the victory is through the conquering Christ. Repentance is... You can think of it like this. Repentance is the, the blank check that you can cash any time. It doesn't matter how big the sin is or how small the sin is, if you quantify such things, but it is a blank check that you can cash any time. It truly is the Christian secret weapon. The reason this is important is that even though you have a new identity in Christ, you continue to sin. Yes, the Lord saved all Christians from the penalty of sin, which happened at salvation. But all Christians still need daily transformation from the entangling power of sin. Godly repentance keeps you walking in obedience and holiness. Repentance is how you experience put this in quotation marks, but repentance is how you experience continual salvation from yourself. It is a continual movement from what you used to be to what you should be. This kind of living is the central theme of the Christian life. Now, you could, you see this idea in Colossians and Ephesians. In Colossians 3, verses 5 through 12, and Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, Paul talks about similar ideas. He talks about repentance in a putting off, putting on framework. Though he's using different terminology in these letters, he is making the same appeal. Christians need to be changing each day. Daily repentance is what believers do 
unbelievers cannot practice daily change. This type of active repentance means you live in a state of openness, transparency, humility, giving God moment-by-moment opportunity to convict you. One of the ways you can assess yourself and assess those that you know best as to whether they are living out godly repentance or a or, or godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow is do they live in a state of openness and transparency and humility? Because of God's merciful confrontations with you each day, you have the privilege of turning from your selfishness to a better representation of his dear son. We all live in the already but not yet tension. I'm sure you have heard that language. It's a way that that Christians talk about how we live in this life even though we have that life in eternity. We're already there. You're seated in heaven. The deal is done, but it's not yet. We're already positionally perfect in Christ. Definitive sanctification gives us everything that we need for life and godliness, but we are not yet functionally perfect. You are positionally perfect, but not functionally, practically perfect. God did not make us sinlessly perfect when he saved us. As the saying goes, this is cliche-y, but let me say it anyway, he's still working on me because it's quite true. As you think about your need to change, how would you answer the following questions? Let's say you have a close friend or a spouse. What if you talk through these four questions with your close friend or spouse? Ready? Here you go. Number one, would you say that you often repent, occasionally repent, seldom repent, or never Often, occasionally, seldom, or never. We're trying to assess godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. This is one of the ways that you can do it. Here's the second question. Are you apt to talk about the sins of others or yours? Number three, how often would you say you repent of your sins to other people? That you go to them and you begin the process of repentance. You you confess it. You ask for forgiveness. Do you do this often, occasionally, seldom, never? How often do you go to people and say, I'm sorry I have hurt you. It was a sin. And I wronged you. I'm sorry I have wronged you. I don't want to do it again. Will you forgive me Those are four questions, and it would be great if you could sit down with your spouse or maybe children or children. Sit down with your parents and and go through these things as well. The Bible teaches us that this kind of thinking and practice should be a lifestyle. Parents, your kids need to know that you are the biggest sinner in your home. I'm talking about Matthew 7, 3 through 5, where Jesus said, you hypocrite, first take the log, excuse me, first take the log out of your own eye. I got a log stuck in my throat. Before you see the speck, before you deal with the speck in your brother's eye. If you want your kids to grow up with humble hearts, you're going to have to model repentance to them. The life you live will 
have either a positive or a negative influence on your children, why not show them how to live out repentance? If you don't, there's a strong chance your kids could grow up to be self-righteous religious kids who don't know how to change because they have not seen an authentic example of what repentance looks like in you. Sin takes no prisoners. That's not the way sin works. It comes to divide and kill and destroy. It is relentless. If allowed, sin will kill a church, kill a small group, kill a family, kill a marriage, kill a relationship. It's my choice. It's your choice. Either we will allow our sin to kill relationships or we will permit the Spirit of God, meaning we won't quench or grieve the Spirit of God, We will permit the Spirit of God to work through us to put sin to death so our lives can experience ongoing transformation. I need the favor from the Lord to be a quick repenter. Quick repenters are grace-empowered, humble people. They don't play around with sin. They have a clear understanding of what it is, and they regularly practice repentance in their lives. Let me give you a few illustrations of what that looks like. Repentance is not worldly sorrow or pouting, which is more concerned about the consequences of your actions and the possibilities of change. Number two, repentance is not penance, or some form of self-atonement where you have to pay for what you did. It's not about good works outweighing your evil works. Number three, repentance is not merely a confession when a person says he is sorry but does not seek forgiveness, saying, I sinned is good but not good enough. Number four, repentance is not a partial confession where a person tells part of the truth but not all of it, true confession typically reveals more than what others already know. This is one of the things that's critical when we're teaching our students about this idea of repentance in our mastermind program, that when you're interacting with a person who is truly repentant, that they are walking through godly sorrow, they will more than likely tell you more than what you already know about the situation or the thing that they have done a person who is trying to do damage control, their confession only goes up to the point of public awareness. Number four, repentance is not a partial confession. Number five, repentance is not selfish motivation with the intent on getting some reward because of the confession. The award of repentance is a clean conscience and right relationships. Number six, repentance is not damage control to save face or not to suffer too many losses. The repentant man does not care about his failures. Read the story of the prodigal son. And then finally, number seven, repentance is not morbid introspection or going on a sin hunt. You're not called to hunt sin down, but to deal with it when it comes up. You won't have to look for it because sin will come looking for you. Those are seven illustrations of what godless sorrow truly looks like. Genuine repentance carries a true heartfelt desire to change before God. 
You're crying out for Jesus to bring rest to your soul. You're moving in a 180-degree life. It's a constant desire to repent because you want to make God's name wonderfully great in your life. And if possible, you want to restore your relationships. And I realize all the time it's not possible, but you want to. Genuine repentance listens to God's Spirit right now. At this moment, and begins to turn from whatever foolishness is going on to a new life of Christ-centered obedience and holiness. The title of this podcast and the article that I just shared with you, The Vital Difference Between Godly Sarah and Worldly Sarah, Here's a few more questions. I've asked several already, but here's a few more as we, as I finish up here. This is the call to action at the bottom of the article. Number one, how does your spouse lead or shepherd you through repentance, whether the spouse is the husband or the wife? Wife, how do you help your husband in this area of repentance? The first answer to that question is you are modeling it consistently and regularly. Husband, how are you leading your wife? Number two, do you regularly walk out repentance? Number three, spouse, how do you model repentance to your partner? Number four, parent, how do you model repentance for your children? Number five, what does or what has repentance look like in your home? Number six, how do you need to change if you need to change, if you need to repent, if you're experiencing godly sorrow right now by listening to this podcast, what do you need to do? The bigger question is, will you? Number seven, how is your life, home, small group, church move closer to a community of repentance? Thanks so much for listening. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.